church welcome glad you're here um feel free to give why don't we give our online audience a round of applause Woo! glad you're watching um i got three announcements announcement numero uno is fight club men's convergence um anyone know what convergence means no i didn't either i had to google it it means to come together in unity it's not just a meeting uh, that's going to be Friday, September 29th at 6 p.m. There's a deadline. Sunday, you need to sign up by Sunday so the food can get ordered. going to be food, fellowship. It's going to be at Lake Camp. There's going to be cornhole. There's going to be axe throwing. There's going to be T-bone steaks that you can cook to your desire with an open flame. Um, it's going to have sides and drinks. Cost is 25 per person. 
It's going to be good. Again, deadline is Sunday. Make sure you sign up. If you're not signed up yet, I still need to sign up. So I'm reminding myself. Uh, fundraiser for Area 51 coming up. This is announcement numero dos. Uh, two street tacos, rice and beans for 10 bucks. Good deal. Going to be next Sunday, September 24th, right after service. The proceeds go to the youth ministry. We've got a fall sale coming up for TCA. That's going to be Friday and Saturday, October 6th and 7th. Uh, on the 6th from 9 to 3. On the 7th from 8 to 3 a.m. to p.m. Not the night. Um, the righteous are awake during the day. Am I right? Uh <laughs> Area 51 Student Ministry Building is where that's going to be. If you've got donations you'd like to bring, gently use donations. Don't be bringing your underwear and stuff. We don't want that. Nobody wants that. Just keep it in your drawers. Uh, But if you've got something that's worth anything, bring it. Um, Cluttering up your closets and stuff. Why don't you clear up some space? That'd be good. Uh, Drop that off at the church office during office hours, which I believe is Monday through Thursday. Nine to four? Nine to three? Okay. Uh, if you want to volunteer to help with that and the setup, uh, please contact uh, Dana Craig. And then we're going to transition to the giving. Uh, so there's the four ways to give. You got online at lake-church.com. It's a pretty good way to do it. You've got the envelopes on the seat backs, of course. Also a pretty good way to do it. You've got the text to give, which I believe is 84321. Sweet. Memorize that. Um, I, it's a, you know, eight is divided by four twice and you know, three, two, one, these weird things. Um, so you've got that, you've got the text to give that I just said, and you've got the church center app. So that concludes the announcements and offering pastor Greg. All right. Well, good evening, Lake church. Guess where we're going to be tonight. And you need to pray for me that we get through this. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Ephesians, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. And I'm going to wrap up some comments starting with verse number 15. And we're going to finish the fifth chapter and, and hopefully get into the sixth tonight. Uh, when we look at the fifth chapter, and we started really in the fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul shifts from giving us spiritual realities that are in the first three chapters, that we're seated with Christ, that we're one with him, that the same power that was exerted in his resurrection is a part of our uh, life now because we're believers in Christ Jesus. He begins to talk about how that he has reconciled all human beings in Christ Jesus. So therefore, there's no need for racism or divisions or anything of that nature. Christ's blood has washed us all and made us all one in Christ. Amen? And uh, very important that we do that, that we understand that. And we talked about that extensively. But he talks about that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Talks about that we've been redeemed, that we have been uh, bought back by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it begins to tell us that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, when he gets to the fifth chapter, he begins to talk about more practical things. And we saw that he begins to address personal sin. And that sin is not something that a believer should habitually walk in. 
and habitually participate in. And he begins to talk about how that some Christians can actually still operate in dead things by being asleep to who they are and what Jesus has done for them. Amen? And then he goes on and he begins to talk about the Spirit-filled life. And that's where really where I want to start here tonight. I covered some pieces of it the last time we were together, but I just want to tie up some loose ends here. He says in verse number 15, he says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? So he's basically telling you, in order to operate proficiently in human relationships, in any human relationship that you have, it requires inebriation. It does. Because there's no way that I can love my wife the way that I'm called to love unless I'm filled with the Spirit of God. See, I personally have human love that is based upon feelings and is based upon circumstances. The agape love of God is the love of choice. It's, it's I choose to love you regardless of how you act or how you respond to me. That's the love of God. But there has to be a certain level of inebriation in order to have good, fully functional, and fruitful human relationships. Because people can rub you the wrong way. Come on now. Majority of your problems are people problems. Hello. And we need inebriation. And that's the reason why being filled with the Holy Spirit is so vital and so important in our lives where many people escape people problems through alcohol and through drugs and through different various uh, vices. He says, don't be drunk with wine, where he's in excess, but, but be filled with the Spirit. And we, we shared with you that the Greek says, but be being filled. So it shows you that there's a continuous draw that we continually draw upon the power and the person of the Holy Spirit when we begin to yield to the Spirit of God and begin to begin to pray in the Spirit and begin to allow the Spirit of God to manifest in our lives. It's vital that we uh, continue to be filled with the Spirit because guess what? You leak. Amen doesn't mean that the Spirit's depleted. The Spirit is never depleted. It just simply means that our focus isn't where it needs to be many times in our life, and we get distracted, and we get dry. How many of you have been through a dry season? You get dry. But he says, but be, be being filled with the Spirit. That means every day we need to get inebriated in the Spirit. Hello? And the amazing thing about this is, is he starts talking about marriage after this. So that says you've got to be drunk to have a good marriage. How many can say amen to that? 
but not drinking like drinking, you know, wine and things of that nature, but being filled with the Spirit of God. Listen, I can only love my wife as Christ loved the church when I'm inebriated by the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God is influencing my life. I can only love my brother and love my sister to the extent that Christ is overtaking my life by the Spirit of God. I need the Spirit of God every day. I don't need to walk out the door without Him. Amen? Now, praise God, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But our awareness of Him, our awareness of Him can wane. We can walk out the door and not be aware. Not be cognizant of the Spirit of God. Amen? So he tells us how to do this. He says, don't be drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your what? With your heart. Amen. Giving thanks. Praise God. That's how we stay filled with the Spirit. It's we are people that are thankful. Amen. Giving thanks and always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting. Oh, that's one of them cuss words. Submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. Now, where does that come from? Well, that comes from the fourth chapter where he talks about that we are one body. And in order for your body to function right, there has to be a level of submission between the various parts. If the body isn't submitted, if each part of the body is not submitted to other parts of the body, it's not going to function right. In fact, when cells turn against one another, it's called cancer. You understand what I'm saying? So he tells you that you are to submit yourselves one to another. Now, he's, he's not even addressing marriage right here. He's just addressing between the body of Christ, between believers, submitting yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord. Amen? Now, he's going to be talking about marriage here in just a minute, but really, in all actuality, like I shared with you, he's not talking about marriage at all. Oh, you're looking at me strange. Because basically, he's using marriage as an illustration of our relationship with Jesus and how it's supposed to function. And the reason why the enemy attacks marriage so much is because it greatly affects your ability to understand and know your interaction with Jesus and your right standing with Jesus and your relationship with Jesus. Because if he can take marriage and destroy all of the critical principles that are within marriage, then he can hinder your prayer life. He can hinder your word life. He can hinder your ability to perceive and know Jesus as he truly is. He wants to mar the image of the master in your eyes to where you live powerless, weak lives, not be being filled with the Spirit, but inebriating yourself with other things such as success, such as drugs, such as sex, and other things that keep you from perceiving what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Are you with me tonight? Amen? Okay. All right. So 
You've got to be inebriated to submit. Hello. Because our old nasty will gets involved sometimes. Amen. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Nobody. Nobody. Hello. You know a relationship's going deep and going deep quick. When you have to say, you know what, I really need for you to do this. Now, they don't mind doing it on their own. And they don't mind doing it if it's a suggestion. But when you start using commanding tones, oh, come on now. I mean, some of you got that going on in your house right now, you know. I mean, you you get in that commanding tone, and I'm telling you, they get that serpentine neck and... What did you say? Hello. But in order for us to operate and function as a body, it requires submission and order. Amen? See, here's where we make a mistake. The church is a family, but it is also an army. And most people are in love with the family aspects because family, we're all at the same table, eating the same meal. God's no respecter of persons. We're all his children. But when it comes to the army of God, there's rank. Mm, and we, we don't like that. And in fact, we spend a lot of time complaining about the people that God has put in rank over us. How did they get there? They can't even find the door. I'm smarter than they are. I have more to say than they do. I can do more than they can do. Come on. Majority of problems in church is not family problems. It's army problems. An army requires submission. When you're on the battlefield, there has to be submission between the soldiers. There has to be submission. You got to stay the course. You got to stay in line. You got to stay in your, you know, various rank and file as you're going through the storm. But yet, when storms hit churches, rank and file, we're not keeping our form, if you know what I mean. We're not keeping our shape. You know, armies go in with certain shapes, and that shape has to be maintained. And it requires each of us submitting to stay in our place. And when we're fighting, you know, against uh, things that are battling our culture and coming against people and coming against, you know, the, the work of Christ, we tend to dissolve. We tend to scatter. We tend to break shape and break formation. And it causes the enemy to take ground within the church. And I submit to you, it's because we're not be being filled. Hello. Have you ever been, I won't have you raise your hands, but have you ever came to church for a few weeks with a stanky attitude? Hello. Have you ever been offended at your own church? Even where you got saved and baptized, you get mad about it. Hello. Nothing is right. 
He can't preach right. He preaches too long. He preaches too short. He doesn't preach what I like. They played that song again. If I hear that again, I'm going to get in the middle of the auditorium and scream to the top of my lungs. Well, if they, that, that greeter hugs me again, I'm going to take some Lysol and I'm going to spray it right in their face. Hello? They, it's too loud. It's too soft. It's too cold. It's too warm. Hello? Amen? Criticalness just abounding and abounding and abounding. But then God moves in a service. He shows up. And you begin to be touched by the Spirit of God and you begin to yield your honorary self to the Spirit of God. You get delivered from you and you let Him start taking over. And what happens? All of the criticisms fall. You're hugging people, loving on them, crying on their shoulder, snotting all over them. You, you know, you're saying you're sorry and people don't know why. It's because of that secret grudge, you know, that picture you've got of them that you've been throwing darts at at home. Come on now. And you've been ugly, but no one knows you've been ugly because you put on that, that church face. But when the Spirit of God comes and you begin to allow Him to bubble up on the inside and you begin to yield yourself and become a vessel, then all of a sudden all that stuff just kind of goes by the way. How many know what I'm talking about? just goes by the wayside. I mean, people repent when the Spirit of God comes on them. People, you know, begin to say they're sorry. They break down. They cry. They laugh. They get they get released. They get delivered. The greatest deliverance you're ever going to get is deliverance from you. You are more powerful than the devil in your life. Hello? Some people don't need a devil. I've sat across from them in counseling sessions. And I swear the devil's right next to them taking notes. Oh, you did that, huh? I didn't think of that. That's pretty good. I'm telling you. But you start yielding to the Spirit of God. I'm telling you, depression can be alleviated by be being filled. Offense can be alleviated by be being filled. Aggravations, lack of sleep, wrestling with things. Filled with care and concern. Be being filled. It causes you to submit yourself one to another in the fear of the Lord. What's the motivation for us to flow together? The fear of the Lord. What's lacking in churches? The fear of the Lord. He goes on and talks to us about marriage. And he says, wives, submit. Husband's favorite scripture. They don't read all of it. They just have that one. They go to Branson and have a wood carving. Wives submit and give the scripture reference. 
but this is not what it says. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Underline that. You You better underline that. Because he's telling you what the husband's supposed to act like. Amen. I've told you the story about the person that called and said, you need to tell my wife to submit to me. And he was just drunk as a skunk. And I said, sir, are you acting as unto the Lord? Are you acting like the Lord? Shut up. Okay. See, submission is a response. And so in this passage, in this passage here, it's talking about Christ, the aggressor in the this, in this situation, Christ, the initiator, and the church as a responder. See, grace is God's disposition towards you. Come on now. And grace, and grace should be the husband's disposition towards their wife. Okay. All right. When a husband operates in graciousness, then it's easy for submission to come in. Because submission is the response of faith in the graciousness of the head of the home. But he's saying this in regards to our relationship with Jesus. He's not saying this. This this isn't, you can teach marriage out of these passages, and I do. When we do premarital counseling or we do marriage counseling, these are key scriptures that we use. But the Apostle Paul says very clearly down in verse number 32, he says, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So he is, he, this is the key to understanding all of this. Okay? We are one spirit with him. We are joined together. We are the bride of Christ. We are married and espoused to Jesus. And so he's showing us how that the, the covenant of human marriage is a type and shadow of the, the spiritual covenant that we have with the Lord. Amen? And that the wife, which is you, guys, we're a wife. We're a bride. Okay? Maybe need to make a t-shirt, I identify as a bride. <laughs> Those would go over well. But the entire body of Christ identifies as a bride. Jesus, when he took that last supper, he was initiating the covenant relationship Because in the Galilean wedding ceremony, they would meet and he would propose what he wanted to do along with his father, the the bridegroom, and they would partake of wine and he would tell that bride as they're fixing to leave and depart, she's going to make her wedding dress and he's going to prepare a place for her. He says, I'm not going to drink of this vine 
until we drink it in my father's house. So he was initiating this, and it's been lost in the church. It's been lost because if you realize, see, that's the reason why marriage is attacked. That's the reason why we have divorce and, and, and abuses and, and things that are because it wants to erode away our awareness of what this beautiful covenant we have with Jesus is. Because we can get so broke down in our understanding of human relationships that it affects our relationships with the Father. See, I had problems, you know, connecting with God and intimacy because of problems that I had in my earthly relationships. And I counsel people that continuously have these issues as well. And there's nothing like a bad divorce or a bad divorces to undermine your entire spiritual, the spiritual mechanics that you need to overcome in this life. Because you don't trust. You don't submit. Because to submit means that you make yourself vulnerable. You open yourself up. And if I open myself up again, I'm going to get hurt. And I don't want to get hurt. And many people are, are, are covering themselves and hiding themselves from God and restricting that relationship because of earthly hurts. Are you with me? So he, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now notice this, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now notice this, which is his body. So what he's bringing in is the first chapter where it talks about that we are the fullness of him, his body on the earth. And he's basically correlating that we are so close with him and one with him that it's as close as you are with your body right now. Amen? You're not sitting somewhere else in your body over here on the other side. You are one. And that's the picture. We are one with Christ. Say this, I am one with Christ. Praise God, you're unified with him. There is no delineation in God's sight. You are one spirit with him. That's what First uh, Corinthians chapter 6 tells us. We are one. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Praise God. When you got sealed with the Holy Spirit, Jesus came to reside in you. He said in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, he said, If you believe on me and you do my commandments, he said, My Father and I will come and make our special dwelling place on the inside of you. We will take up residence. He told the disciples, he said, I will never leave you. 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 Good place to say amen. I will never leave you and I will not forsake you. And he means it. He said, I won't leave you. He said, you're never going to be an orphan. But yet we have orphan hearts in the church. Yeah. 
It's because they have not cultivated a revelation of the goodness of God and what his work has done because marriage has been so utterly demoralized, ridiculed, and mocked that we don't even understand our own relationship with our husband. Amen? Okay. You're looking at me wrong. It's all right. It gets worse. Notice this. The church is his body, and he is himself its savior. Okay? Say this. Jesus is the savior of the body. That is a healing scripture. Jesus is the Savior of the body. Jesus is the Savior of the body. Jesus is the Savior of the body. Amen. It, it, you could take it. It just shows you all the covenant promises are in this are in this this allegory here of marriage. All of them are our acceptance, our righteousness, healing. Unification of the Spirit, it's all here. When Adam and Eve, which was the first marriage, were brought forth in that second chapter of the book of Genesis, it was a composite drawing of the believer in Christ. Amen? And it's so sad that the enemy has so distorted human marriage to where we can't even we can't even connect the dots anymore okay are you with me it says now as the church submits to Christ now notice that the church responds to Christ in an act of submission the quality of your walk with Jesus is dependent upon your level of submission. But this is not popular. You know, he's, he, it, you, we have a Jesus, Jesus is Savior mentality, not Jesus is Lord. But the Bible is clear. He only becomes your Savior when he first becomes your Lord. Amen? See, this, in a few years, these scriptures may be hate speech. Because this is, a, this is anathema. This is, this is something that our current culture shuns. It says this is not, you know, you come against, you know, levels of, of, of machismo and, and, and levels of feminism the two extremes, and they don't understand that. Marriages have been ruined because of machismo. Marriages have been ruined because of feminism. See, we have to understand that we find our identity as husbands in Christ. But we also find our identity as wives in Christ. 
See, he's our example for both sides. Amen? I'm preaching way better than you're saying amen. Okay, all right. Okay, now notice what it says. It says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now notice that. Your level of submission is, is really where you're going to experience the quality of your relationship with Jesus. It's disobedience and a lack of submission that causes us not to have the joy of our salvation because we're constantly in resistance to. God's asking us to do something and we're wrestling with it and we're wrestling, we're saying no. Come on. And he continues to just try to lead and guide us and we continue to pull back, you know, like an old mule. And there are people that have lived their entire walk with God trying to, you know, needing to be drug, which, which, which God's not going to drag you. Hello. But just being obstinate, I'm not doing that. Hello. Hello. Mm, the Lord's giving me some things. I don't know if I, I need to go there. I got to itch your trigger finger. <laughs> Hello. But when it comes to being a part of a local church, when it comes to being a part of the assembly, being a part of that, there's people that resist that. I've had people tell me I don't need church. Oh, well, then the Bible's wrong then. And you're right. Hello? Well, I can just open the Bible and learn on my own. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> he says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to help you to grow. Come on now. If your home doesn't have one of those, you're not in church. Well, I'm the church. Well, that's true. We're all the church. But you're mixing up the assembly and the church. We're called to assemble together. We've got to assemble together. We need one another. Amen? And we need to learn about the Word of God in a setting where God moves through a ministry gift. Because guess what? I would read and read and read this Bible. And, I, and, and I'd sit there and I'd, I'd think I got something, you know. And then I'd listen to a message. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, you mean that's there? That's, why? Because a ministry gift that is ministering by faith is bringing forth this. And the Holy Spirit uses that to illuminate my mind. Amen. Hello. Well, I just read the Bible myself. Well, you're going to have very limited because God set these in the church. Why would you just forsake and push away what God said in the church? Okay. All right. You like that. I know. Okay. Now notice this. It says husbands love agape. So this is not mushy gushy love like you love Oreos. 
or you love fishing and hunting. This is not based on circumstances. This is based on choice. A husband needs to be mature enough to love by choice and not by feeling. Because guess what? Feelings come and go. How many have ever rode the roller coaster of feelings in your married relationship? It is choice that keeps you locked in. It is choice. I choose to love you regardless of what goes on, what you say, what you do. I am unconditionally committed to our relationship by choice, by an act of my will. Now, to some of us, that's foreign because agape is the love of God. But that should comfort us because that's how God loves us. Mm, Think about it. God loves us irrespective of us. He loves us because he decided to love us. Amen? And he is sealed in that. He doesn't have, you know, all gushy feelings for you every day. He's made a choice to love you. And even when seasons of your life in which you have resisted his will, even walked away from him, his love still is the same because he has chosen this. God doesn't have love. He is love. Amen? And husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Okay? Now he's going to tell you how Christ loved the church. He says, and gave himself up. Husbands, when you decide to take a bride, when you decide to take a wife, you're going to have to give yourself up. Amen? All right. That he might sanctify, that means set apart, separate, and continuously make valuable. That's what that word means. To continuously work on separating, causing it to become unique, special, and valuable. See, husbands, you should value your married life to such a degree that you're consistently working to bring it into places of separation, giving it more value, not replacing it with toys, not replacing it with achievement, not replacing it with money, not replacing it with titles. Amen? And notice he says this. This is where we stopped off last, last week or week before last. It says, he sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. It's very interesting. The word wash means, it just means to take a bath. Okay? Now, here's the interesting part. To take a bath with the word. See, what heals your relationship and draws you closer to God? The Word does. 
What causes you to feel connected when all things around you are going haywire? The Word. What makes you secure in times of adversity? The Word does. We're shaken in times of adversity when our Word life is not where it needs to be. When we are not in the Word like we should, we don't feel connected. It's the same in marriage. Because when a husband and wife, spouses are not in communication, it causes insecurity to begin to seep in. You don't feel confident in your relationship. Well, there are people that don't feel confident when they got that report from the doctor. They don't feel confident when they got that bank statement. They don't feel confident in regards to teenagers going awry. They don't feel confident. Why? Because they haven't taken a bath In the word. And this word bath means both public and private baths. That's what it means. You are to have public baths like what we're doing right now. We're taking a public bath. Don't look. We're taking a public bath right now. But you should be taking private baths as well. Amen? A lot of people would take a public bath on Sunday and go dirty Monday through Saturday. No, you need to take... Listen, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to look anywhere. I'm going to look over here. But I suppose that majority of you take a bath a day. Uh, Don't raise your hand. I don't want to know. Okay? But you want that. Now, notice it says washing of water with the word. And the word word there is the Greek word rhema. It's remata in the Greek. It is not logos. Okay? So I'm not truly bathed. Unless the Logos becomes a rhema. Until the word becomes a revelation. Until it goes off in my spirit. Then I'm not fully bathed. So that means this. That just going through a 15 minute devotional. And wondering why nothing's changing in your life. Even though the forward said, this will change your life. (laughs) Hello. The reason why is because you're in Logos mode. And you've got to go through Logos mode to get to Rhema mode. But you keep washing until it begins to start working. Amen? Okay, all right. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. The word present is very important. He says that he's going to continue to work on us with his word. So that he can step beside us. That's what that word means. 
just like a husband and wife when they're coming together for their marriage nuptials. They're side by side. He has getting us in a position of a side-by-side relationship. You understand that? He's presenting us as his valuable, precious bride. And he's doing it through the word. Amen? Okay, all right. All right, you want me to just skip to six? Okay, all right. Now notice this. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now notice this. Love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Amen? I remember my father in the faith, David Emi. You know, he, uh, he had first got married, you know, and got, you know, he was getting called in the ministry and the, and the, the Holy Spirit told him one day, he said this, and it's always stuck with me. He said, God told him, he said, I'm going to treat you the way you treat her. Hello? Oh, it's by, it's all. He that loves his wife loves himself. People that abuse their wives, they don't love themselves. Amen? Okay. For no one ever yet hated his own flesh, but notice this, but nourishes it and cherishes it. And I love this next phrase, just as Christ does the church. So that means this, whatever your flesh needs, whatever your body needs, Jesus nourishes it. And he cherishes it. He takes care of it. Amen? Praise God. Some of you that are having symptoms in your body, just look to Jesus as your husband and say, you nourish and you cherish your flesh. Jesus loves you like he loves his own body. Come on now. So he takes care. Do you think Jesus is sick? Do you think Jesus, come on now. So therefore, we're one with him. Oh, all right. Okay. All right. I I got 15 more minutes. All right. Okay. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. Did Jesus leave his father? Absolutely, he left the father. In fact, in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John, he says he, he basically can't wait to get back to the father. Because he says, restore unto me the glory I had before. Remember he prayed that prayer? He said, I'm coming to you, Father. Well, guess what? He went to the Father so that he could prepare a place for us. Because he espoused us. He he, he proposed to us and we received him. Amen? Now he's preparing a place for us. And when the Father says, go get your bride, he's going to come get us. Amen? And he says, therefore, as a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. 
There's many times when, when people face crisis in their life, they wonder where God is. Well, I'll tell you where he's at. He's holding fast. That's what it says. Did Jesus leave his father? Then he's holding fast to his bride. He's holding you fast. Well, I don't feel like it, Pastor. I, I feel like it, the heavens are brass, and I feel doesn't matter. What does the word say? He is holding fast to his bride. He's got you. Well, I feel like it's all just coming to an end. He's got you. I feel like I'm about to die. He's got you. I don't know. I don't know if my marriage is going to last. He's got you. I don't know if the business is going to make it. He's got you. Man, these pains are... He's got you. We don't have to convince him to be there. He's already there. He's holding fast. The key is we've got to get revelation of the awareness that he's holding us fast. Instead of belly aching and crying and why God, why, and when God, when, and how God, how, realize he's got us held fast in his arm. He said, you know, he said this in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. He says, God gave me these, and no man shall be able to pry them out of my hand. God's got you. No matter what you're going through. Amen? And it says, and the two shall become one flesh. Well, guess what? Spiritually, the two shall become one spirit. Because we're one spirit with him. So when we're joined with Christ, he is joined with us. We are joined with him. There's no delineation. When God looks at you, he sees Jesus. When the devil looks at you, he sees Jesus. Amen? Amen? We live in a society in which we, you know, we, we, we want marriage to be two equals. And there is understanding that both man and male and female are equal in the eyes of God. But marriage is a covenant where there's submission. And that a wife submits herself underneath her husband for protection and provision. Not to be slapped around or to be, you know, uh, condescended to or manipulated or controlled. But to be provided for. And the number one provision is love. Wives need the agape love of God. The more you give the agape love of God, the more they will spring forth and become who God created them to be. It's when we withhold that through witchcraft in the home, through intimidation and manipulation, through, you know, all kinds of, of politics within the house. There's no way that a wife can feel secure in a relationship when you're using those kind of tactics. 
You want your wife to feel like she can take on the world. And how she feels that is when she has the security in knowing that you love her no matter what. That you're there no matter what. And just as Jesus holds fast to the believer, you're holding fast to her. Amen. But then he says something very interesting here. We read verse 32. Let's skip down to verse 33. It says, however, let each one of you love your, uh, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she what? Husbands don't run on love. Wives run on love. Husbands run on respect. Hello. How do I show my husband that I love him? Respect him. Hello. Now this word respect is, is very interesting. And, it, and, it, and it, it's going to shut some of you down. It's going to just shut you down. You're just going to go tilt. It's going to be, I'm going to see, read tilt. You're going to be triggered. We're going to have to have some safe places. But it means to revere and fear. Now, we don't like that. But it's not the fear of the world. It's not the fear of the devil. It's not the fear of a snake or a fear of a tornado or the fear of, of wrath. That's not what it is. It's a reverential awe. Boy, I tell you, if more wives would have a reverential awe for their husbands, it would lift them up out of a lot of things. See, if husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church, it would cause them to bloom and flourish and bear fruit that they never could realize because that's the habitation they are supposed to you know, be in. But husbands also have an atmosphere that needs to be in to where they can become who they are in God. And that's reverential respect and awe. Amen? But we don't teach that anymore. The man is mocked. The man is ridiculed. The man is dumb. You watch any movie or any sitcom, the husband is the dummy and the mommy is the smart one. We've got a bunch of Homer Simpsons out there. Dad can't find the door, but mom can understand physics. Hello. And I'm not saying that there are not women that understand physics. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, is man as the head of the home, as the husband as the head of the home, is ridiculed in our culture. So therefore, respect is not a part of many homes. I'd have to say majority of homes, there's no respect. Hello. And it's amazing to me, wives that desire the love of their husbands, but won't give an ounce of... It just creates a perpetual cycle of death. Hello. 
Okay, moving on. All right. Chapter 6. All right. We've only got two more hours to go. No, I'm just kidding. It says children, so he begins to address the other aspect of the family. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen? See, we have to teach and nurture, you know, our children in in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Amen? Notice it says this, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it might be well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now notice this. He says, fathers, see, we're a key component in children obeying. Come on, fathers. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Amen? But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we shouldn't be overbearing. We shouldn't use our anger in a sinful way. It doesn't mean that we don't get angry because we read in the fourth chapter, it says, be angry and sin not. So anger is a good motivator. Kids need to see their dads angry at times. But they should never see them in sinful anger where they're striking against them with their words or even with their hands. But I'm telling you, there are some times that I can remember in my life that were a game changer when my dad got mad. It altered my reality. It wasn't sinful. It was just I disappointed him. I discouraged him. And he spoke up and it shook me out of the funk that I was in. And there's nothing wrong with that. But he never touched me. He never called me names. He never personalized the sin. He just shared his disappointment in a way that affected me emotionally and made me want to change. Did you know that God gets angry? I mean, Moses is, is beseeching before the Lord because he's ready to kill all the children of Israel. He said, listen, back away, Moses. I'm going to kill every one of them. And I'm going to make a nation out of you. And Moses says, nope. And God repented. God has emotions. It's a good study. If you get into the word of God and study that, God has emotions. Now, they're not emotions of fallen human beings. We can't put them on the same level. But God has emotions. God cries. God laughs. God rejoices. God dances. Hello. God sings. And God gets mad. Amen. So as we shouldn't provoke our children to wrath. You know, sometimes we, we, we get too critical of our kids. 
And a lot of that's motivated by fear, the wrong kind. We don't want them making the same mistakes we made. And so many times we overreact. But when we raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, it says train up a child in the way they should go, not the way I want them to go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. I've seen that happen time and time and time and time again. There might be a season in which your child may rebel against you and against what they were raised in. But God will bring them back. Because you raised them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You sowed the seed and it will bring a harvest. Amen? Hallelujah. Did you get anything out of that tonight? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, if you're here tonight, you don't know Jesus, or you need something from God, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to have ministers that are going to be up here at the front at the close. They're going to be on the other sides of these altars here. And if you want to just take some time and personally pray, we have these altars up here. I believe it's important that people connect with God on their own. But if you're at a place where you need assistance, where you need someone to agree with you, they're here to do it. Amen? But we really, I want to encourage you to develop an altar life. Amen? There's a lot of things back in the old, old days where it, we, they didn't have counselors. They didn't have prayer rooms. They had altars. And we've got to get back to pursuing God. We've got to go back to the basics, guys. Amen? And so we've got those altars and we've got counselors that will be on either side of these altars that will help you in any way possible. And I'm looking forward to this Sunday. We're going to be continuing disclosure. And uh, praise the Lord. God is good. He's going to prepare us as we talk about the Mark of the Beast and the days of Noah and all the weird stuff. And as I've said over and over, if it's weird, it's important. All right. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.